Hey squad, welcome to another episode of Cake and Kombucha with your host, Kelechi Aza. For those of you who are new listeners, Cake and Kombucha is a place where we talk about politics, pop culture, social media, weird things that happened. Yeah, we just, we just kiki, pretty much. Um, I want to start out this episode with a special message from Alyssa Milano, which I'm going to play for you now. I'm taking back the things I gave to you. No more sex until you change this bill. And that includes my sweet little nookie. I can last a really long time without sex. I'm like a camel. Give me my civil rights, bitch, and get the government under control. you get the driest of hand jobs. Wow. 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 She's really fired up about something. I wonder what it is. Um, we'll get into it later, but first some internet wahala. Folks, this is a story all about how one busybody hoe writer's life got turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute just sitting her right there to tell you how she got her ass kicked off the Twitter. <laughs> boars, boars. I, I, um, if you couldn't tell, I was thinking of that as I went along, which is why it did not in any way sound like it was flowing. So I'm going to work on my freestyling. But anyway, this is the story of one Natasha Hines. Natasha Hines is a Jordanian American writer who was taking the DC Metro and to her great shock, awe, disbelief, dismay, disgust, horror, saw one of the employees of the DC Metro eating. She then rushed to Twitter and tweeted, when you're on your morning commute and see at WMATA employee in uniform eating on the train. So I guess that's, she's a writer, but I guess that's that thing of like where she's trying to steal meme culture, like also black stuff coincidentally of like that thing when, you know, when this happens, when, you know, when you say when this such and such and you put the picture up anyway. So I guess she's doing that. Let me just start over. I, I just already started reading this bitch so hard and I need to just tell you the story first. So she tweeted back to news, news, um, back to the information voice. She tweeted when you're on your morning commute and see at WMATA employee in uniform eating on the train. I can't, I, that is caps lock. I thought we were not allowed to eat on the train. This is unacceptable. Hope at WMATA responds. When I asked the employee about this, her response was, worry about yourself. At, and she has tagged, at Unsuck D Metro, which has 82,000 followers. And honestly, the fact that you guys have that many complaints about your Metro is like laughable because I've been on it before. And whilst it seems a little bit confusing and I don't think you're a city where people use it to get everywhere it's like clean and shit like what are you complaining about just shut up um that's my general DC read get at me anyway (laughs) Natasha Tyne was a soon-to-be published author of a book called they called me Wyatt I guess she's going to have to call the book who 
<laughs> just being, I'm just, I'm acting up. So this was book was settle, set to publish in June, and it was, according to her, based on her life in the U.S. and Jordan, and it is about being a woman in the Middle East. However, her publishing company, Rare Books, released a statement saying um, that they were aware that she... Uh, she did a, something truly horrible today in tweeting a picture of a Metro worker eating her breakfast on the train this morning and drawing attention to her employer. Black women face a constant barrage of this kind of inappropriate behavior directed toward them and constant policing of their bodies. We think this is unacceptable and have no desire to be involved with someone who would think it's acceptable to jeopardize a person's safety and employment this way. We are currently taking appropriate actions to cancel Tyne's novel, They Call Me Wyatt, within our inter. Distribution network and are strongly urging Tyne's publisher to, which is called California Cold Blood, to take appropriate actions. So, I mean, I'm learning something about publishing as I'm reading this to you. Um, her, I guess the company, the publishing company is California Cold Blood, and the rare book Bird Books was going to distribute it. Anyway, these are details we don't need to know about her life because we're about to forget her as soon as I'm done talking about her. So this is really interesting. Um, like I said, like her life is canceled. She had to take down Twitter and take down her book, uh, take down her website. But what's really interesting to me is anyone defending her because what happened to her is exactly what she had hoped would happen to this woman. Public shaming. Uh, someone, you know, at least the pictures that were taken of Tynes weren't like going, you know, taking a picture of her at her cubicle, watching her stuff a muffin in her face and being like, look at this dizzy bitch eating and getting crumbs on the keyboard. You know, like at least the information we have about her until she did something that was like unkind. I will just start with saying unkind. Uh, what was what stuff that she put out there about herself? Mostly positive stuff, a curated image. So she takes a picture of someone who does not, consent to be photographs and blasted on the internet. And then people actually have the nerve to come out their face and defend that her backlash was too strong. I don't, if, if someone didn't die, the backlash is probably not too strong. We are, I don't know why I'm constantly engaging in backlash conversations, bad things that are unpleasant can happen to you when you do shitty things. It is okay. Like this is a lesson America hasn't learned yet as a whole, as a soul. Like I don't get it. It's okay for people to be like, hey, you messed up. It's okay for people to be like, actually, I don't want to work with you anymore because you did something bitchy. Like forget the racial undertones. Like these are all things that happen. You have a public image to uphold. And this will, this is also a theme, this podcast, just doing things nobody asked for, publicly and then getting surprised at negative reactions. I don't get it. So I'm really impressed with Rare Birds. Uh, I guess them definitely must have been a black woman behind that uh, uh, that uh, press release or a really empathetic person who knows a lot of black women and has at least spent some good time cuddling with one platonic or otherwise. Because thank you for having our backs and and reiterating the fact that we are policed in this different way as women and as black people that 
no one else is, not a black man because a black man is a man, not a white woman because a white woman is white, not any other race of woman. Like it's its own unique thing. And I just, the thing about this interaction that is so disturbing to me is the power dynamic of instructing someone like what they're not going to do. So that I feel like she didn't just get mad that the Metro worker, uh, was eating. She got mad. She, she, you know, everything that, you know, she's a writer and what she shared about the experience is what is important to her. So in her tweet, she said, when I asked the employee about this, her response was worry about yourself. Here's my question. What planet are you from? I know you've said you're from Jordan, but you also, but maybe that you're from like the other dimension of Jordan, like the mirror twilight zone part of Jordan that's actually on the moon, because I don't, know where it is that you would be like, hey, stop eating. And the person would be like, oh my God, thanks. I forgot. No. What's more likely is that someone with very short shifts who is on public transportation, which is kind of like a not, you know, they, they kind of have different, they don't have a nine to five when you're on public transportation, like as a, you know, running it as a conductor, et cetera, et cetera, whatever her position was. What's much more likely is she was hungry. So you interrupted a hungry person eating and told them they weren't supposed to be doing that. You got in someone else's space. And the picture of the woman, she's hunched over trying to do it discreetly. So you're really all that up in someone's business. And then you got mad that they didn't say, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. And let me put my food away right quicker, ma'am. No, she said, worry about yourself. She could have said, fuck off, bitch. Like, I... There's a lot of other things she could have said, okay? I'm just saying. Like, I am a polite person, but in an urban center, like, every once in a while someone steps off and you really just have to tell them. You have to tell them where they can put it, and it usually involves, like, some asses and some F-bombs. So the fact that she just said worry about yourself was so calm, but, like, you, you were mad that she didn't obey you. You were mad that you could not control another adult human being. You don't have the right to tell people, like... For example, like I have, I'm not saying that I'm, I don't call the manager, but like I read the room and I'm never trying to get someone fired. Like I have been at some of these salad chain restaurants and someone, you know, the sanitation wasn't right. Like I think this guy had was like mopping and then he went to make my salad without putting gloves on or he had the same gloves on just something gross. Or I've, I've seen someone cough before and stuff like that. And I'm not going to be like, you're not supposed to be nasty. Da, da, da. Like you leave. How am I going to teach you, you know, what to do in that moment? Like you just don't, you can not like stuff and you can comment on it. And I did say like, Hey, I'm not really comfortable. Or like, I have to ask my eyebrow ladies to, you know, sometimes I have to ask them to wash their hands before they start. They'll be doing whatever they were doing. And that's would just want to go like, start threading your face. And I'm like, can you wash your hands? Cause my skin is sensitive. Once you have irritated it and something's open, like the pores or what, I'm not going to make up skin science. I don't know. Pores, whatever. It's just like, I feel like it's a open place to get more stuff in it. So please wash your hands before you start. But like you can ask people what to do and they can do it when it's like directly pertaining to you. And even then you can't control it or you just leave. But she was not bothering you. She wasn't flinging her, like she didn't like bring like jello jigglers on the train and just throw them around to see if they stuck to the walls. She 
was eating. And the fact that you could just not have any solidarity with another human being, another working person, another woman, a black woman, and someone who's in a lower, someone whose job is probably less paid than you as a public published author and, and, and say that she should, excuse me, I got a text and say, you know, that she shouldn't eat. Wrap up with a bit more context. Um, Buzzfeed who they have very inaccurate quizzes. I'm just going to say it. Like if you get sucked into trying to figure out how, you know, what kind of sprinkles you like on your ice cream relates to your Zodiac sign, you're going to be disappointed. I mean, there's like a 25, like if it's like four, you know, if if it's like a four result quiz, there's a 20, there's a 75% chance you're going to be disappointed. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, they said that there was a memo sent out to the Metro employees just a few days before the incident stating that offenses like eating on the train, fair evasion, playing music without headphones, things like that were not going to be. Uh, they were not going to be offenses that could get a citation anymore. So, as in, like, Metro workers would not be passing out citations to people for those offenses. And so, according to this lady employee, I won't even say her name because she's suffered enough from this, like, notoriety and she's embarrassed. But according to her union rep, um, she was within her rights to interpret that as to say that she could eat. And so, also, just, like... Just another like way to look at like how people walking around are not just like objects for you to boss around and they have their own narratives and lives and information that they are dealing with. So she had heard this directive to stop enforcing a thing and thought maybe I'll eat because I'm hungry and I have a long shift. And like she still did it discreetly. And also um, context is given about the conditions that the the operators have, it says operators have an average of 20 minutes to eat and get to their next access point to ensure buses and trains are on time. According to the union, most operators do not have a sanitary place to have their meals due to rodents and insects in the system and a lack of break rooms at some stations. Now, if I can only like, if I could like imagine or like transpose this onto the New York Metro, like I don't even know where, when I walk by the bathrooms that are there, I mean, it's just a whole mess. Like, so imagine living your whole life underground or I don't even know if DC is above ground. I don't care. The point is this was whack. Bye, Natasha. Bye. Bye, Tasha. Chomp, 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 chomp. Pete Buttigieg is at it again. Guys, I didn't even plan to talk about more people that irritate me. I just, I had a list, but then I turned on the internet and I saw that he made a speech to... The LGPD, sorry, not LGPD, LGP, wow, LGBT rights group, the Human Rights Campaign, where he warned them that we were had a crisis of belonging in the country exacerbated by so-called identity politics that emphasize how one person hasn't walked in another's shoes. Something that is true, but doesn't get us very far. Huh? This is what I told y'all. I told y'all that he don't make sense. He reminds me of someone I went to college with. He is just putting words out there. And and people like, I'm, once people perceive you as intelligent, they just accept things you say. Like I even, this even happens to me with 
apparently I walk authoritatively, but I have a horrible sense of direction. So I'll be walking with people, with friends, whatever. We'll just start out walking because I start out walking. I just walk. And they're like, are we going the right way? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, inevitably like, oh, I was following you. You seem like authoritative. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I have a stride. I'm, I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot like bullshit a bullshitter. He's saying nothing. Here's a quote. When an auto worker 12 years into their career is no longer sure how to provide for their family, they're not part of the country we think of ourselves as all living in together. That's why we can't seem to get on the same page. I'm going to let y'all interpret that. I'm just going to let you interpret it. I, 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 I don't. Just tell me what that means, actually. He said divisive lines of thinking have entered Democrats' mindset, like when we're told we have to choose between supporting an auto worker and a trans woman of color without stopping to think about the fact that sometimes the auto worker is a trans woman of color and she definitely needs all the security she can get. I'm not sure what you're saying, like pandering, 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 but like I can't find the exact quote, but basically he just said he's concerned that we are becoming divisive in the Democratic Party. And I think this is all just, it's just supposed to make you feel a thing, but it's not really offering anything. Like notice when he talks about people who are underpaid and stuff, he has no solutions. He has no policy yet. And I also would just like to remind us all that we're not divided because like we, Democrats didn't invent division I guess maybe he could be saying, like, don't lean into it. But we're divided because we believe different things. And I would argue that the thing we need to actually change is our beliefs. Some of us don't believe that everybody in the country should not be homeless. Some of us don't believe that we should all have insurance. Some of us don't believe that that people have a qual- should just have a certain quality of life just for being alive and being a citizen. And you can see that because we keep changing the bar for what moving the bar for how you become a citizen, like what we think you should get, you know, like now we don't think people who are born here, like children, you know, like the dreamer act, like now we don't think that they're, you know, do we really think they're citizens? Like it's supposed to be like, you know, what did your grandparents from Ireland and Italy have to do? They could just, they just got here and then they had kids and they're American, but now we want to change that for some people. So you see what I'm saying? Like, we don't fundamentally believe the same thing. And I think we always dance around this. And I'm reminded of this because I was listening to um, a story today about um, black women and like the stereotype of the angry black woman and how people attacked Michelle Obama, who's like one of the most mildly cadenced speakers, not mild as in boring. Like she's just not ever been, she don't sound like me. She's not up here yelling at you guys into a microphone. And when she said that, you know, the, this was the first time in her adult life she was proud of her country and people started losing their minds on her. And it just reminded me of how we're all supposed to have this uh, illusion that the baseline is all great for everybody. And then like we're working from there, but we really don't. And it's no one's job to, you don't have to, but I, you don't have to like posture pride but it's like sad because you kind of do. And like, how much work do you get done when you're just gassing yourself up about how great everything already is when there's so many things that really, really need to change and that are really a problem. And then when you're like, you look at who gets to criticize America without impunity, and it's always the people that America has been the best to. It's never the people who America has 
run over in a Mack truck, then you just have to, you're supposed to be quiet or you're angry and you're not patriotic and you should go back to Africa or go back to wherever you came from. So I just am done with the vagaries from him, but I also think it's a little bit, he just keeps talking on both sides of his mouth and I'm like, who are you? I mean, if the, if the pandering is working for like whatever, whoever is being pandered to like, go ahead, sis, but it's not working for us. It's not working for the people that the democratic party is actually worried about are not going to like him. Like we don't, we don't like they're worried that, you know, a white guy who went to Harvard and Oxford is not like the good, a good look right now. And I'm not going to say that it's not, but he's not like, again, I've told you how I feel about Elizabeth Warren stand for her. And I went to the Andrew Yang, um, rally in Washington Square Park yesterday. Sadly, it got rained out. But if you don't know who Andrew Yang is, he's a candidate. He's the second person I I donated to. Um, I donated to him last year after, um, so Obama like being the first. And um, he believes in a universal income of $1,000. He he comes from a fintech background and that this is an amount that will keep people you know, from being homeless, it it can like abate like homelessness, you can find housing, but it's not a number that's going to allow people to not work because, you know, working is such a value. No one wants to just siesta by the Riviera. You have to work. You have to work. That's why we're here on this earth. I'm obviously have some judgment about the concept that like, that is what makes life worthwhile, but that's how we do in America. So it's a number that people wouldn't be like, ah, freeloaders, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and, you know, he wants school debt to be forgiven. Like, he is going to take these taxes from automation, which he compares to the way Alaska has, like, an oil, I think they call it oil money. And, I mean, just, again, the idea that there are ways to fund things that we don't consider because we are in bed with different corporations and we just have a status quo the way it is. And we're not like, we haven't had like a creative voice. I wouldn't even include, I would like even Obama in some ways was mainstream about some of these things like there. And that's sad because he gets no coverage. This guy, he has a plan. I mean, Elizabeth Warren almost gets no coverage. I was interviewed. Someone asked me just like someone from the guardian or the independent asked to interview me at the rally. And they were like, Oh, so you're you're like both like these outlier X Factor candidates. And I'm like, dang, is Elizabeth Warren also just like an X Factor? I mean, I now understand so much more about how much campaign fundraising has to do with um media coverage and just like how it doesn't matter if you are the answer to all of our prayers. No one is gonna find out about you if you don't have a certain amount of money and you're not you know, a white male and get all the coverage. But if we don't stop asking Pete about speaking Norwegian, like who is he going to broker deals with the Lord of the Rings? Like, no, no, we don't need (laughs) no change to Norway. I don't like, I just thought that was funny. I don't, I mean, I'm, I know that Norwegians don't speak Elvish. I'm sorry. Please accept my apology, but It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about his hobbies and his languages. Like he has produced no policy. I'm just laughing because it's so funny how we're all like people are getting bamboozled by nonsense. (sighs) Well, that's all. Look up Andrew Yang. He's awesome. 
if anything, I think he represents kind of, I mean, I hope that he's someone whose ideas will be looked at down the line. I hate to talk about this election like it's already over, but I mean, he's not going to win anything. And of course I'm going to vote for who's, you know, on the ticket, but on the, you know, who's democratic on the ticket. But I mean, it's just really interesting to get someone to open your mind up and be like, Oh look, we could do things like this. And it would solve like real tangible problems that you have, like not vague promises, not just posturing, not like getting you scared about faux problems, like the amounts of illegal immigrants that are running red lights and that we're going to squash down on it and, and, you know, solving them. It's, it's like he could actually, someone wants to help soothe our financial strife and we're like, nah, nah, I'd rather just watch our president start a trade war with a country that he still uses to produce all his goods and his uh, daughter's clothing and marshals. Yeah, that's that's more that's more exciting to me. Improve my quality of life. Just say it. This is about to be just some reporting. Just to let you know that I know what's going on and that I'm also confused and sad and scared. But I don't have anything funny to say about it and I don't even know if I have that much um, of an analysis that is founded in anything because I'm honestly confused. So I'm referring to um, what's going on with our reproductive rights in the United States. Um, On Tuesday, the Georgia governor signed a bill that would ban abortions if a fetal heartbeat can be detected. Um, And then Alabama decided to up the ante and they have passed an almost, this is the Senate has passed a near total abortion ban. It is the most restrictive abortion bill in the country. Um, They are, have voted 25 Six to pass HB 314, which would give doctors up to 99 years in prison for performing an abortion. Um, it allows exceptions for, um, quote, serious health risks to the unborn child's mother, like an ectopic pregnancy, or if the unborn child has a lethal anomaly. Um, But Democrats tried to introduce an amendment that would exempt this law for victims of rape or incest, and that motion failed. So then we just have to ask, what, why, what are we doing? And what are our, what is this based on, you know? And so to give you an idea of what's going on, and this has been going on for years, people making up laws about reproduction and women's right therein that don't know anything about it. I mean, the school, with the school system down there, I guess unsurprising, but um, Republican state Senator Clyde Shamblish, who, uh, fuck his name, I don't know. He's the one who ushered the bill through the chamber. Um, he kept emphasizing that this bill is, is pertinent to women who are known to be pregnant Every female that's pregnant or thinks they're pregnant, quote, and the male who was involved, it gives them a window of time. The bill does not change that window of time. So he 
said he believed that this window of time, this window being the time between conception and when a woman knows for sure that he, she's pregnant, he referred to it as seven to ten days. But how? How? Your period can be seven days late if you go on a, a trip somewhere. Like, according to him, I'm pregnant when I'm, like, completely celibate. Like, what are you talking about? He says she has to take a pregnancy test. She has to do something to know whether she's pregnant or not. You can't know immediately. It takes some time for all those chromosomes and all that. I'm sorry, but no. You're just going to have to do better. But I guess you don't. I guess you don't have to do better. Like, I was going to say, you have to do better than being up here making laws that are based on like, you know, a biological phenomenon and then not really understanding it. I don't get it. Like, how are you going to make legislation that has to do with how people should act in a certain situation and do it with any fairness or understanding if you literally don't even know how pregnancies start? Like, but that is a kind of stupidity and recklessness that is acceptable in our government right now. So, I mean, I guess the easy, like, surface answers are that these are southern states. They're very religious. But but I want to go deeper than that. I want more. I want to understand why they have interpreted their religion. Well, first of all, like, I guess I shouldn't even ask why you think your religion should be in the law. But, like, why... Why have you interpreted your religion this way? Why aren't we making laws about adultery? Why aren't we making laws about other things that are, you know, in the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't do? How did this become the focus? Like this and like homosexuality is just outsize, outsize focus. Um, and I don't, to my knowledge, abortion is not mentioned expressly in the Bible. So I'm confused about, I'm confused about this focus. And it's just, it's so scary. I mean, we are this for much further into a dystopian novel or television show of which The Handmaid's Tale is both every day. And I just see our civil rights slipping away. And it seems like every time I think there's something that you know, Roe v. Wade was kind of a long time ago, like relatively for it to just be, this has been stewing on your minds all this time. Like what, what are you going to do? Other things that happened right before then, like overturn, like women's right to vote and things like that. Like, it's just like, wow. Wow. And so Alyssa Milano, who is, um, an activist, she's been really fired up and in the media since, me too. And she also puts her foot in her mouth every now and again. But this time she said, we should have, stop having sex, like stop having sex with men. If, and, and people laughed and, but I mean that, you know, that is the plot of Lysistrata. It's, it's not a new phenomenon. And there's something powerful about that idea, not from a punitive standpoint, not from just like a, well, you ain't going to get none of this nookie then. It's just like a, you, you don't, we, I feel like we have to do something to make men realize that it's, it's their problem too. 
And it's hard. We're at a disadvantage with that because honestly, you know, men have babies and don't take care of them. Like some men just don't have that thing inside of them that compels them to take care of their offspring. So, you know, knowing that they did have restricted reproductive choice, should something happen, they didn't intend to happen. And then a baby's on the way. Um, it might not incentivize them to, to fight for this, right? But I do think symbolically for the most part, there is something powerful about just bringing it back to sex is between a man and a woman. Like you, the two of us doing this thing could, you know, kill me. Like having a baby is one of the most dangerous things you can do. We don't really talk about how dangerous pregnancy is. We're all just excited we got here and excited our moms like survived it if we were blessed enough that they did. But we don't really talk culturally, just globally about how pregnancy is an insane thing happens to your body. It is crazy. And I learned stuff just from my friends now starting to have kids and stuff too that I didn't even know, like your stomach, your abdomen, like splitting apart, like an alien, like this, it's kind of wild. So this is acknowledgement that this thing could happen to me that is very, it's a health risk. It can change my life. Like that is what sex means for the both of us. And so you have to be up in this mix and, and really start to acknowledge all of that and understand all of that and grapple with it too. If you want part of this poontang. So I support, I honestly support the sex ban, but at the same time, the other part of me is like, none of these laws have ever applied to the wealthy. Um, the wealthy will always have their reproductive rights. The wealthy will always have their girlfriends and their mistresses go get abortions while they are reeling against them. You know, true story many times over. I don't even need to like quote that. And they will always make sure that they have, you know, access to health care and the things that they need. So I wonder who the sex ban would really, I think, again, like symbolically as a gesture, I get it. And I think it would be really interesting like if we really all were able to bind together and do that. Um, but I also think that I'm not sure if the people who need to get the lesson the most would be affected because they're going to go about on with their lives as they had before, as they do. Um, because, because wealthy people have always been sending their daughters away uh, to come back, you know, unburdened of a child or whatever. They've, that's been happening. So again, I just want to send some solidarity to acknowledge here that this is a thing that is happening. I don't have the hot take. I just don't, I don't really know why this is happening. I've read some theories and I mean, I hope you know what I mean when I say, I don't know why this is happening, but like really why, like why now? Why here? Um, so yeah, I've read some, some interesting things about it and some ideas that I just wasn't really ready to distill down yet. Some like theories on like how this is all connected together in a, in a, in a political plan or kind of a, you know, like a larger overview of how this fits into lots of movements that are happening right now. But, um, yeah, that's all. So let's just 
stay strong, sisters and brothers who are listening, and try to keep our wits about us. Let's stay woke. Let's stay aware. Let's fortify ourselves for the things that are coming up ahead because I don't think this is the last of our civil rights that's about to be taken away. To continue this episode of Things That No One Asked For, dun, dun, dun. Constance Wu, Constance Wu, why do you do the things that you do? So upfronts are happening, which is when networks decide what sitcoms and shows they're going to renew for the next season. And Fresh Off the Boat got renewed for a sixth season. And Constance Wu went on Twitter to rage at the world about this. So when it was announced that the show was renewed, she went onto Twitter and wrote fucking hell. And a fan wrote, congrats on your renewal. Great news. And she wrote, no, it's not. So if there was any doubt as to what she was talking about, what she later tried to cast doubt about what she was talking about, that would clear it up. She also tweeted uh, fuck. So upset right now. I'm literally crying. Well, it's great to know you're literally crying. That's just a potent image of someone crying and tweeting at the same time. Um, cry tweet. Don't cry. Crete. She's creating. So I just like, what? What are you? What are you what, what's going on? Why am I privy to any of these thoughts? So then, of course, she had to write a lengthy, lengthy, long, 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 long uh, Twitter press release saying, I love the show. I was temporarily upset, not because I hate the show, but because it's renewal meant I had to give up another project I was really passionate about. So my dismayed social media replies were more about that other project and not about fresh off the boat. Um... They weren't replies. They were of your own making. Uh, I'm literally crying right now. Fucking hell. Who needs to... <sighs> okay, let me wait. To, let, let, me, let me just wait. I'll break that down after. Let's finish her response. Um, she says, playing Jessica is quite easy and pleasant. I get to work with a kind and pleasant cast crew, which makes it all quite enjoyable. So obviously I don't dislike doing a show that is fun and easy and pleasant. But in general... I've always sought artistic challenge over comfort and ease. I was disappointed in not being able to do that other project because that other project would have challenged me as an artist. I'm not reading all this. Like, this is nonsense. We all know that sometimes there's something you would rather do than something else. I've been in the position, lucky enough to be in the position once or twice where I had to turn something down because I picked something else. And it's like, oh man, why, when it rains, it pours. Why does everything good have to happen at one time? But like when you are the lead on a sitcom, an ABC for six years, six seasons, getting paid gobs and gobs of money, like it's always raining and pouring. It's great. Like you are tripping right now and no one needs you to like, you know, mitigate that and like and parse that you, you do like the show you're working on 
first of all, that whole easy and pleasant and pleasant is kind of shady. I mean, just going to be real. Like usually you're kind of effusive about your crew. We in the industry like to say things like amazing. They're just some, they're my family. Like just say that, just do it. Don't call them pleasant. That sounds like someone who gives you your biscuit at, at, at Biscuitville for like that smiles at you for one second. They were pleasant. What do you, you seek artistic challenge? I mean, okay. We all seek things. Most of us in the unions are just seeking a job at all, but that doesn't mean anything you did was appropriate. Of course, it's shady and disrespectful to your show. Of course, it seems like you don't, I mean, you don't want to be on the show anymore and that's okay. Like if you're in some crazy battle like jojo was with her record company as the <laughs> crystal and kid fury called jojo <laughs> the white african-american singer jojo which to me is like never has there been something more deeply accurate like she's a white african-american singer but yeah if you're in some like battle and and contractually bound to things and it's like hard to get out of there's something weird going on like that that you just have really been trying to get out of but you can't I mean, maybe that is what's, I mean, maybe like you, you, you are contractually bound for like a couple seasons, I think when you're series regular. So I guess like you are, maybe that is it. She can't get out of it, but the, then damn, like, yeah, you were really hoping your show wasn't renewed. Like you were hoping that your show wasn't renewed and that everybody else's whose career is not popping off, like was just going to not have a job. And this is including like the crew and everything else, but you also here's the thing like that can be a private hope like hey if you know if our producer gets run over by a truck maybe I won't have to do this you don't have to share that with anyone sis and so that's where we are now I don't know what's going on with her I don't know who are you asking for comfort from when you write I'm literally crying right now on Twitter do you have friends I mean it might be a tall order to have friends that would cry with you about going back to your show. But I know someone loves you enough to be like, oh, here, here, I understand what it's like to have an embarrassment of riches. And, um, you know, it's okay. You'll get to do that other thing later. And yeah, I'm being really, I'm not at all trying to understand. Like if I put on my understanding glasses, it really sucks. Sometimes certain opportunities come and you feel like it's this once in a lifetime thing and you're never going to get it again. And it can really, really, really suck when you just can't do it. Like that stinks. I'm, and I don't think she owes it to the struggling actress she used to be or all the people that are still struggling, which is like everyone except for the 0.01%. Like, I don't think she owes it to not have ambitions and say, you know, be okay being on the same show forever just because she's working. Like, I'm not saying that, but I mostly I'm just, you've opened the whole thing up to ridicule because you put it online. And also why? Like, so yeah. So why? Like I have really close friends that I love that I don't even talk to for like six months at a time. Like I just, we just be in that adult life doing our own thing, but I could certainly call them and be like, Hey, like the thing happened. So what I mean by that is if I don't communicate with them on the daily, why do you need to communicate with Twitter about your deepest innermost things that are very, very awkward professionally to share when you work in media and entertainment and 
then ABC has to publicly comment about whether they're going to replace you or not because of the crazy things you said. So maybe she was hoping she... So here's another take that I'm just developing as I'm talking. Maybe she was hoping she would get replaced and be some like renegade troublemaker and just like get out of her contract and be like, fuck this, I'm in movies now. Maybe that is the plan because otherwise... I mean, and like, and then I guess it would have backfired and then you just had to write this mealy mouth apology. But I don't, you know, the end of her little statement, it's anything but little people can hold conflicting feelings in their hearts. That conflict is a part of being human. So I can both love the show cast crew, but at the same time be disappointed that I lost that other unrelated job. She's not a good writer. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that right now. I just can't, I can't avoid that anymore. Like this is very clunky as an apology and I wish someone had helped her with it, but what? Oh no. I didn't even read the end. Oh no, 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 no. She said, I appreciate those who have given me the space and faith to believe what I say about both parts of my heart. Thank you. It's meaningful when you make the choice to believe women you're invoking sexual assault language about your online tantrum. Oh man, you guys like in real time, I'm like losing someone that I was a fan of like in real time. Like I thought I was going to make fun of her a little bit, but now this is, this is like that kind of borderline manipulative. Like it's a activist issue believe I believe you that you're crazy I believe you wanted another job and you didn't want to do your show anymore I believe you don't hate your show no one doesn't believe you we just don't know why you said that it's weird oh the article reporting it like CNN is like ABC has chosen not to recast her they've responded and they just shadily like in one with their one word takes Wu made the unusual choice of sharing her feelings on Twitter like I wish it was more unusual but it's, I mean, this is, this is an extreme example of oversharing, but this is just like a thing now. Like I don't, I, even with Facebook and stuff, like I don't, I don't know when it became a place to just say no. And you know, and I won't say that about Facebook because with Facebook, you know, people like you're talking usually to, you know, people you've accumulated along the way. I mean, Facebook's been around for like what, 15 years now. It's with the Twitter that I don't understand these just like, and the Instagram, like, it's not a diary, y'all. There's just, I shouldn't know any of this. I just shouldn't know it. And I want to know who were you talking, like, who were you talking to? Maybe, maybe it was a strategy. Am I giving her too much? Let me know when you respond, like, send me an email, tweet me, Instagram, whatever. Do you think I'm giving her too much credit or... Like, do you think nervous breakdown, she had a plan, or just really immature, impulsive person? I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine you would do something like this if you weren't like, there's not like something like actually wrong, wrong with you, but I don't know. Maybe my expectations are too high. So in other serious news, um, the New York Times has released an article that says the Aperol spritz is not a good drink. That is the title of the article. And to that, I would like to say, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. The reason I feel strongly about this is because I like it. A number one. That's all. It's my favorite drink. 
It's kind of bitter, kind of sweet, bubbly, but not too bubbly. It's a spritz, which at Weight Watchers they say is like good, you know, just throw some bubbles and stuff and you drink less and consume more calories. It hits all those hallmarks for me. And I need you to back up. I need you to back up right now. So let's dive into what this person, this really, really misguided person says. Uh, She says, it's effervescent, it's extremely well iced, and it's a shade of orange that rivals a planet Earth sunset. You're doing too much. No one needed that. You're doing too much right there. It exists within the broader category of aperitifs or aperitivos, the low alcohol, often bitter leaning drinks that are meant to prime your palate for the evening to come. But there is a problem. The Aperol Spritz isn't actually good. Served in branded jumbo wine glasses, a sugary aperitif is paired with low-quality Prosecco, soda water, and an outsized orange slice, resulting in something that drinks like a Capri Sun after soccer practice on a hot day. First of all, you sound pressed, okay? I don't know where you go to drink, but I do not get mine in branded wine glasses, so maybe you should stop going to trashy places. I don't drink low-quality Prosecco, so again, that's your bad. And my orange slices are the perfect size, okay? Furthermore, I didn't play soccer, and I never drank Capri Suns, so I don't even know what you're talking about. I was more of a juicy juice type person. So there. This article has set off a debate that is raging across the internet, and people are really mad. Apparently, there is hashtag Spritz Life on Instagram, which I didn't know or I would have been writing it on everything that's also unrelated to drinking anything anyway. But I really did to just lean into the pretension, start to like the drink when I was in Europe because it was really cheap when I was on vacation. And it's just like a yummy, like, you know how if you're someone who likes mixed cocktails, right? But you don't always know what you're going to get. But I'm also not someone who just likes a like what I'm saying is I like mixology drinks, right? But there's always that thing of where it has 15 million ingredients, which I you know lean towards. But then you don't taste all of them. It's just not that great. You spent $15. You don't really want to finish it. And then I'm also not like a well drink person. Like I'm not one to just like mix rum and coke just to have alcohol. Like I guess I would sooner drink like a good like mezcal neat or something like that. But I don't know. Like I like the experience. I I like I like the taste. I just like the taste. It goes down easy and you can drink a lot of them and not feel sick. Like you it's not something that's going to like knock you out for the evening or anything like that. So it has all those things going for it and it's really cheap abroad like depending on where you are. So it is it was a little bit jarring to come back. Um I was we were getting a lot of them when we were in Barcelona on vacation and then me and my sister, shout out. Hi, girl. And then when I came back and tried to get them other places, I was like, oh, it's $13. Oh, that's really hard when it went from being like $3. But it's just, yeah, it's like bitter. And yeah, there are other aperitifs that I don't know. Like, I also, you know, I know we have like a diabetes epidemic in this country or whatever, but are we just going to like act like sugar doesn't taste good? It's not super sweet. It's sweet and sour at the same time. Is sour the same thing as bitter? I don't know. It's it's sweet and bitter at the same time. So, like, don't just be like, it's sweet. <laughs> How unrefined. You like sugar, you fatty plebeian. Like, whatever. It's Yeah, there are things that are more bitter, like Campari is more bitter. 
which, you know, is the thing that's in Negronis, which like I, that does, you're not better. You're not a better person and like more mature if you like Campari over Aperol, okay? Take this sugar, okay? Choke on a sugar cube. Stop playing games. And I have one. I feel like I'm sitting on a Riviera somewhere in a broad brimmed hat, you know, getting ready to go onto my yacht that's my own that has some sort of a mermaid that looks kind of like the logo of this show probably on its on the mast okay so my yacht became a ship it became a full it became a pirate ship in my imagination the point is let me have it let me have that thank you good night new york times given you a reality tv uh redux in a while and there's a lot i could say since i've binged like 10 episodes of housewives of new york this weekend for some reason i was like unaware that my favorite uh franchise was on for 10 weeks i just missed the boat but sometimes it comes on in the summer there's really no tracking it and i i didn't see any commercials for it when i was watching like atlanta it's that's but anyway The point is, instead, I'm going to give you some YouTube life. So are you in the beauty community? If you didn't know, and if you don't know whether you are, um, the beauty community is a place where people get on YouTube and paint their faces to look like my little ponies, or that is the trend nowadays. Lots of sparkles, uh, looking like if Rainbow Bright was having a grown and sexy 45th birthday party, I mean... You're never going to know how old anyone is because the young kids look 85 with how many layers they put on. Um, oh, I'm not making you want to watch this. I'm, there's so much judgment. But, you know, that's that's where we are now with the contouring and everything. It's just a movement. However, um, there are some old school OG people who kind of started out back before um, vlogging, if you want to call it that, or YouTubing is kind of its own verb now. So back before that was being a YouTuber and influencer was like a lucrative thing and built their brand over years, like 10 years. And people like Jackie Ina, who's a Nigerian woman, she's like 32, has been doing this for, maybe she's like 30, about 10 years. And she now has like 4 million followers, I feel like. And I do watch her makeup videos and they're entertaining. Um, Then you have people like Tati Westbrook. Tati Westbrook it's very interesting to me. I came upon her one day and she had millions of followers and I was curious um, as to they what the was the intrigue or what was the draw with her. She doesn't have, I, order him I mean, and her makeup is fine. It's not something it I necessarily is. would like learn things from. Apple, However, she has a really soothing voice. And uses her hands in an interesting way. And I am here to tell you, however much you thought about, you didn't know about pop culture, for those of you guys who tell me like you only hear about pop culture from the show, your mind's about to be blown because people are millionaires from YouTube. Like, I don't know if you really realize this, that the way you can monetize, once you have a market share that's like 10 million people watching you, that can be monetized to the extent where you're making maybe like 
you know, thousands of dollars for every post that you make that's promoting a product or tagging something. And so it's this whole interesting underground economy. It's this whole world. And there's a lot of content that like my Amazon fire stick broke. This is how first world, like my, I put my Amazon fire stick remote into the wash like a month ago. I've been using my phone because, you know, the app on your phone, you can use your phone as a remote. However, I think my internet went out. So once the phone disconnected from uh, the internet, like, the, and couldn't communicate with the TV, then there's like no way around it. There's just some controls you have to maneuver that you can't get to to sync them again without having it remote. It's very circular. So anyway, I found myself unwilling to like, Chromecast everything onto. I'm just dropping as many technology uh, apps and devices as I can. I found myself unwilling to Chromecast everything onto my screen for my laptop. It slows me down, and I just like your laptop is for the other stuff you're doing while you're multitasking and watching TV, right? So I would just end up on on YouTube like more, and I watched this 40 minute video from Tati Westbrook where she explains all the drama that's going on with James Charles. Let's call him. King My Little Pony, Prince My Little Pony. So Tati Westbrook, OG makeup artist, mentored this then 17-year-old James Charles, uh, who she thought was very talented. She brought him under her wing and promoted his channel, taught him. Flash forward, he's doing her wedding makeup, and so they're like family, Um, very close, partners in business in the sense that her husband uh, used to be an agent with CAA. Uh, I believe he was an agent, but he was, or either that or like mentored by the person that owned CAA. So he brokered all these deals for James Charles. They would funnel just millions of dollars his way in deals and work with him on his brand. And when she talks, it's really compelling because it's like, she's like, look, I don't need it. Basically, when she said who her husband was and what he did, I was like, oh, you rich, rich. Okay, so that's why you were able to take like a pet project and be like, she's always promoting like his um, makeup artists will have tags. Like if you go to Morphe and use my code, James Charles, then I get the kickback. So they'll have these promotions and they make so much money from them. So she was always like promoting his stuff. So they had a huge falling out. And they used to call each other sister. And she wrote a, made a video called Bye Sister, explaining how he's basically an egomaniac. He's not trustworthy. He's out of control. And she has to disassociate herself with him and like end a friendship, actually, which is kind of sad. It's sad to watch people be that close and then have a falling out. But what caused the breakup was that she has a line of vitamins and he needed like he was in line for Coachella and needed more passes, more VIP passes. So he texted someone from this company, Sugar Bear Vitamins, and said, I'll do an Insta story. Can I get more passes? Thank you. And so then he does an Instagram story promoting her these vitamins, Sugar Bear, which are rival vitamins to Tati Westbrook's vitamins. And he done told Tati that he could not promote her vitamins because lots of tweens and like 12 year olds and 13 year olds watch his channel and he could not, uh, he couldn't promote vitamins to them. So then he promoted her rival and 
She also said that it was just kind of uneven. Like he never tried to kick back any opportunities to her. It was just like a one-way stream. Now, the kicker is James Charles has 16 million people following him. So keep that number in mind. For those of you who think this is really random, fringe information, how would you ever come across it? Like, it's fascinating, right? Like, I knew who he was just from watching YouTube. I did not realize, like, that he was that important. Is important the word or known? Or, like, what's the word for just your existence being, I mean, I guess the word is famous. But do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. So even as I was watching this video for 40 minutes to put me to sleep because her voice is soothing, I did not know that it was going to be covered about this, uh, the story is going to be covered in mainstream media channels, but it is. So after she released this video, he was unfollowed by 3 million people and including a lot of celebrities that unfollowed him. And I can't tell you who tracks, like who celebrities follow, but it seems like a stressful job, but yeah, they, they, whenever they unfollow stuff, there's someone watching all the follows and making meaning of it. But yeah, so it's like shunning. It's like, Virtual, like, I turn my head against you. I turn my head away from your general direction. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Maybe you don't think it is, but I just was like, wow, people are really self-made, important people from YouTubing and, like, their friend drama. So it's like this is a step beyond reality TV because it's kind of reality this stuff is produced, but it's not produced to the extent of like having producers say, now this is going to happen. Now this is going to happen. Like, and she says, Tati says in the beginning of her video that we live our lives publicly. So I have to address this publicly. I mean, it was deep and she's a very, she's just compelling when you watch her, like you kind of believe her. Now, while it does sound like Charles James, James Charles, he who has many first names is just like an ungrateful, has no home training, annoying, nouveau riche, like, you know, he's just going to have to collect, collect his humility, go back in the shelf he put it on and try on a humility cloak again. There are some other parts of the allegations against him that are really becoming, they're snowballing into homophobia and just stuff that like actually isn't a thing. So she talks about how they're at a restaurant and he hit on a straight waiter all night and it was just very uncomfortable to watch and you can't force your sexuality onto people. And so that's become the thread and people are calling James Charles a sexual predator and which that part can be true for anyone, no matter what your sexuality is. But she's like, your behavior is immoral. You have to stop. You can't confuse people into, you know, your sexuality is your own. No one can give that to you or take that from you. You have to figure out what it is. Well, if you have to figure out what it is, how can James, Charles, James, Charles, Charles, James, hitting on someone make them confused? It makes them know that he's attracted to them. I mean, so basically he's a creeper, right? Like he creeps into a lot of people's DMs. He throws his fame around. He acts like a lot of celebrities act, not excusing it. Um, but things get transactional. People want things from them. They want, and you want something, you know, like he wants something from them. They want something from him. And it sucks. And I've spoken before about how it can suck as a woman, especially 
when the thing you want is mentorship or guidance and the thing you're getting back is like a boner, but it's, it has nothing to do with confusing people's sexuality. So I don't like the way the gay part is being invoked. Like, so now today, like people are releasing all these screenshots of times where James slid into their DMS and said things like, Hey, hottie. And they're like one, he said one guy's, he said to one guy, Hey, hottie. And he's like, I'm married. And James was like, just take a compliment. So like, he seems douchey, but like, there's a lot, I don't like this, um, fear mongering about, you know, this predatory gay man convincing people that they're straight. So, or that they're gay, like the waiter that he hit on all night, they, the waiter DM'd him and then they met up and made out. That's what happened. And like the DMs are like public. The waiter contacted him afterwards and then they met up and made out. And then the next day the waiter said that he was straight and James like went off and was like, sorry about last night. Like, I hope, you know, this is not, you know, no hard feelings, but that wasn't really like, like me. And then James was like, hard feelings, you're gay, like, get over it. (laughs) Like, it was really bitchy. No part of you was straight if you actually think that bitch. But I mean, that's his opinion. Like, you just made out with him, so he doesn't think you're straight. I'm confused. That's not manipulative. So there's all this, like, language that's coming forward that's a little bit disturbing about, like, he's manipulating these straight men into being confused about themselves. Like, no you, you're just being sexually harassed, like, or, or even hit on, I will just say in most of the screenshots I read, like I've been, had lesbians hit on me before. I wasn't like, you can't coerce me with your sexual, like, what do you talk? Like, it's just a person who's attracted to you and you're either interested or you're not interested. Now for the people who wanted mentorship and things like that, like that's different. And I didn't see any like explicitly clear situations like that from the DMs, like messaging someone who's famous and being like, I just wanted friends. I don't know anyone in the area. Um, like I'm moving to LA. There's the one guy messaged him. is like, I'm moving to LA. I didn't know anyone in the area. I just thought we could be friends. I hope it doesn't sound like social climbing. I mean, yeah, it does. It does sound social climbing. Like you just want to be friends with the most famous person you have access to. Like that is that usually how we make friends by messaging strangers on the internet or do we make friends by like joining like a a botanical gardening shrubbery club I don't know like it's that seems a little dicey and I think it's detracting from the main point which is just that he sounds like he's like ungrateful a little bit shady and just forgetting you know where he came from forgetting his roots this Charles James James Charles kid so I think we should reel it back onto that message because it's juicy enough without all the extra stuff and I'm just get really leery of us trying to mix in like me too and sexual assault and victim language to everyone who doesn't really need protection like straight men are not in danger from this guy they're just not it's not a thing it hasn't happened yet like I'm not putting it on my worry list I'm not rubbing my worry beads about it I'm not doing it we, we got to just stop not alling all of these movements or we're not going to get things done. So that's my take on that. But if you want some interesting, like it's just, it's just more drama than you think is to be had. And it's not all scripted. It's just, it's a good time, guys. Come to the dark side. Waste your time.
Your bubbles are pink. You make me think I'm on top of the world. And in a pinch, girls can get finch. A rhyming is not falling with many drinks. shove it and focus on subscription and that is our show thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of cake and kombucha please please go to apple and subscribe rate and review the podcast that's how i know who i'm reaching that's how i know what you are liking and i can give you more of the content you want we are also on spotify you can subscribe there google play stitcher uh soundcloud please go follow me on instagram at kelezier k-e-l-e-z-i-e or cake and kombucha there and i would love to connect with you there also and Shoot me what you want to hear about. Shoot me fun stories and maybe I'll cover it. I'm always looking for the pulse of the people. Boom, 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 boom. Until next week. Cake and Kombucha is produced by Kelechi Aza, a labor of love, edited and recorded right here in New York City. It features music by Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, you can find more of her music at MelanieJBCharles.com. And you can also find her stuff on Spotify. 